Behind the Bite podcast is part of a network of podcasts that are good for the world. Check out podcasts like the Full of Shit podcast, After the First Marriage podcast, and Eating Recovery Academy over at practiceofthepractice.com backslash network. Welcome to Behind the Bite podcast. This podcast is about the real life struggles women face with food, body image, and weight. We're here to help heal, inspire, and create better, healthier lives. Welcome. Well, hello, everyone. I'm so excited for today's show. And don't take that wrong. I'm excited for each and every show. But if any of you know anything about this podcast, one of my motivating factors that I had for starting it was to have real people on here who would be willing to share their personal stories about their struggles with eating disorders. I've said it before on here that maybe you're new to the podcast, and you know what? It doesn't hurt to hear it yet again when I say that I think one of the most powerful things about hearing someone else's story is that you don't feel alone. It's that when you're experiencing and feeling all of this, you know, if you're sitting at home, you need to realize that it's not your fault. And if you're sitting at home and you're struggling, you never know when you're going to hear that one thing someone else shares that helps you realize that you have an eating disorder. And maybe what you hear even helps you take the first step toward getting better. And another thing that I love about when people share their stories is, is that it debunks that myth that you can never fully recover from your eating disorder. And I think that the more and more people who are recovered and come out and talk about it, the more that this myth gets broken. So not only is our guest here today willing and open to sharing her own story, but she's here to discuss a topic that I have not had on the show before, which to me is very exciting. So If any of you have not heard of Neuro Linguistic Programming or NLP, then by all means, I want you to sit back and listen to today's show. I can't wait to introduce her and bring her on. So with all of that being said, our guest today is Millie Thomas. Uh, She is a Carolyn Costin Institute Certified Eating Disorder Recovery Coach and a Neuro Linguistic Programming Practitioner. She battled anorexia nervosa for 15 years and very nearly lost her life to the illness Her miraculous recovery made her determined to use her lived experience to help bring eating disorders out of the shadows and into the light. She dedicates her time to eating disorder advocacy and eating disorder recovery coaching. She has a private practice, Heal Ed, where she helps clients around the world to gain freedom from their eating disorders and reclaim their lives. All right. Well, Millie, welcome to the show. I'm really excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to do this with you today. So for people who maybe don't know you, um, would you mind sharing, you know, part of your journey? And then we're going to get into some really interesting topics. So um, yeah, love to hear more about like your journey and how you got here. Absolutely. So I grew up in Auckland, New Zealand, and I had an amazing childhood, never really thought about my body, never really had a concept other than what my body allowed me to do. So I had a very um, blessed childhood in that respect. And it wasn't until uh, I was around the age of 12 where I was put into a private all-girls school. (laughs) And when I started at that school, I just started to feel the sense of inadequacy. I felt that all the other girls, they were really pretty and I felt that they were thinner than me. 
And so in my mind, I thought, you know what, I'm going to lose a little bit of weight for summer. And of course, because I had the personality characteristics, the genetics, um, and what we know is uh, the genes load the gun and the environment pulls the trigger. I was then put into this environment and that's when the trigger was pulled for me, unfortunately. And so very, very quickly, uh, anorexia took hold and I was taken out of school for a year and we did FBT because that is what was um, thought to be the best course of treatment at the time, given my age. Uh, unfortunately, what that didn't address was what was going on for me from a psychological perspective. So we put the weight back on, but I was still very, very trapped in my mind. And what was really unfortunate about that was that so many people were saying, oh, it's wonderful that Millie's well, isn't this great? Mm -hmm. And I was put back into school. And so I felt like I had to pretend that I was okay. And so I, in essence, I threw myself into academia. I thought, well, I'm going to be the best student I can possibly be. And I'm going to absolutely sideline the fact that I'm in no way thriving in my life right now. I'm surviving. I'm not going to parties. I'm not living as a teenager should. I am literally just getting through. And I guess putting on this front, this pretense, this mask. Um, but, you know, I to for all intents and purposes, I really did excel at school. And mm-hmm. I did did sport. I was you know, head of the school council. I was in the, I was the director of the Shakespeare Soiree. There were so many things that I did um, that were amazing, but I, I wasn't, I wasn't living. I was not at all mm-hmm. living. I was, I was existing. And so to cut a long story short, it got to my year 13 year, which is uh, the last year of school in New Zealand. Mm-hmm. And I was offered a place on the Global Young Leaders Conference where representatives from each country in the world, all 18 year olds, uh, were given an opportunity to go to New York and Washington mm-hmm. and do amazing things like visit the United Nations. And, and I just absolutely leapt at the opportunity to do that. However, what I didn't realize until I got on that plane was this was the first time that I was going to be away from my parents for an extended period of time since I had become unwell. And the moment I got on that plane, the eating disorder just dug its claws in really, really deeply. And I became a lot more unwell on that trip. Mm-hmm. And when I came back to New Zealand, I was 18 years old and no one could tell me what to do because I was now an adult. And so no one could force me into treatment. And I got a scholarship to university and I thought I am absolutely going and I'm doing my business degree. And I really believed that somehow my eating disorder would just sort itself out, which of course it was never, ever going to do. And so again, I went to university, I excelled, I topped the business school, did all these things. And if you look back, my Facebook memories from that time, there I am all around the world looking as if I'm having the most amazing time. I was absolutely riddled with anorexia and I was not enjoying myself at all. I would never allow myself to celebrate achievements or just take a moment to just really nourish my body, mind and soul. Everything was just so driven by the eating disorder. And so basically over those years, university, and then I, you know, went straight into, into the workforce and, I, I just declined gradually year by year. My weight got lower and lower. My, my behaviors became more and more ingrained. And I was being seen as an outpatient at one of the hospitals in Auckland. And I vividly remember a day when the psychiatrist pulled my parents and I into a room and said, you're too unwell. You were one of the worst cases we've ever seen. You're not ever going to get well. And palliative care is the only option that you, that you have. And, and these are the options that you need to consider. And And I just remember everything about that day because I had been really trying. No, I hadn't been making amazing progress, 
But I was holding on to, I had held on to hope that I could get well and I was still trying. And that day I felt like my whole hope that had been ripped away from me. And so I discharged from those services and that led to a further rapid, quite rapid decline. And I remember walking into my family GP's office to pick up something and he just had tears in his eyes and he was like, you have a week, maybe two to live and you need to decide what you want to do. And he his very loving, compassionate GP. He wasn't being cutthroat in any way. He was just saying, I need to understand where you're at. And for me, and I want to preface this with saying I've never been suicidal or depressed. However, this was 15 years down the track of severe anorexia. And I was, I was done. I was done with waking up every day feeling like, how was I going to get through the day? I was permanently freezing cold. I couldn't get comfortable because my bones stuck out. I was, you know, I had the bones of an 80 year old at 27 years old. Um, I ached constantly and my life had become so tiny. I didn't see anyone. I didn't do anything. It was just completely governed by the rules and rituals of anorexia. It was a living hell. And the only way that I could ever see being at peace was to to not be here and to be looking down on the world from afar and I remember going home and telling my mom this and obviously she found it incredibly difficult to comprehend but she also knew the battle she was there with me day and doubt and she knew how tired I was and how distraught I was however she said to me well I'm going to Noosa which is on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland in Australia and this has always been one of my happy places. Mm. And she said, you don't love it here. And so why don't you come to your happy place? And if that's what's meant to be, it's meant to be as in, if, if I, if I was going to lose my life, wouldn't it be nice to be somewhere where I'm happiest? And I said yes to going, but I really said yes for her. I mean, I thought I was, I was just so, I felt my body shutting down. Anyway, we went mm. and she found an amazing woman who specializes in neurolinguistic programming and hypnotherapy. So NLP and hypnotherapy. And she really changed my life. And when I, I've interviewed her on some of my podcasts and she will say, yeah, but you did that work. You had to come to the party to do it. But I fully believe that she hadn't introduced me to the way of thinking and the concepts and the straight down the line approach. I wouldn't be here today. And, and she just, she just really helped me to see that I could change my brain. And so again, to cut a very long story short, we, in six months, all I did was focus on changing my brain, focus on food, focus mm -hmm. on getting my eating disorder out of my life. You know, I thought to myself, I have channeled my perfectionism, my high achiever OCD into making this eating disorder, the strongest eating disorder possible. I can choose to take that power away from the eating disorder and fire up my healthy self and become so dogged and determined to get well. And that's what I did. You know, in six months, I really turned my whole life around. It was the most traumatic, petrifying time, but it was also the, the absolute best thing I could have ever done for myself. And so at the end of that period of time, I went back to Auckland and quickly realized that that wasn't an environment that was going to be conducive to me maintaining my recovery for a number of different factors. So I went to California because it's always been a really special place for me. I had many, many friends there. And I spent 
I spent a couple of months in California just living, learning about myself again and really going to the cafes that I'd gone to for many years and sat there and looked at people eating the cupcakes and actually, you know, sat in Jones on third and ate the cupcakes. Uh, those things that I hadn't allowed myself to do and really found myself. And I had this one pivotal moment where I was there and I was journaling in a park and I heard a woman pushing a little young girl on a swing. She probably would have been about six or seven years old. And she said, you're getting too fat. I won't be able to swing you anymore soon. And I had this visceral reaction in the pit of my stomach. People had been saying to me, you need to write about your journey. Like your story is incredible. And I always felt there's a million anorexia recovery stories out there. And until I had something unique to offer, I didn't want to do that. And that night I went home and I lay in bed and I just got really fired up and I just wrote in a really raw way on my Facebook wall because back in 2016, that's what you did, um, about what it was like to really live with anorexia, the living hell, the evil, you know, bully of an illness that it is, how insidious it is. And I went to bed and I woke up and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people had liked it. Huffington Post wanted to publish it. And I had this moment where I realized this was the reason I had struggled so long and so hard was to help other people and that my story could help others. And so I gave myself 48 hours to go back to Auckland, pack up my whole life, move to my happy place on the Sunshine Coast in Queensland because I thought life was way too short to be living somewhere that I wasn't happy. And I had a dream of starting an eating disorders charity. And within two weeks of moving here, I met an amazing couple, Mark and Gay Forbes, who had started a parent support group called Ended. And we had the combined dream of establishing Australia's first residential eating disorders facility because Australia is and New Zealand are both very, very behind the US mm -hmm. in terms of that. And so we, we did that. We established Australia's first residential eating disorders facility. I also helped um, coach individuals who were suffering. So Mark and Gail helping the parents. Ended, the charity has now grown hugely and there are many other things that um, that they do here in the community. And I also started my private practice, Healed. So I help clients around the world as a Carolyn Coston certified eating disorder recovery coach and an NLP practitioner. And I help clients to find freedom from their eating disorders. So I do that. I also have um, the Renourished podcast and a podcast that I did for Ended as well, the End Eating Disorders podcast. And I just feel incredibly grateful that I can use what was such a torturous, onerous, long living hell part of my life to, to help others. I really do feel like this is my purpose here on earth. And so that's who I am and, and what I do. Oh my goodness. That is a, a lot that you've been through and you've taken all the pain and suffering, obviously, to help other people, which is like amazing. I mean, everything you've done, right? And you're helping so many people and wonderful to have you here. I mean, obviously, you you know, the listeners, you know, they're probably relating to a lot of what you said, even though you didn't get into all the gritty detail, people listening who are struggling with this know all of what you've been through. Um, and it's always inspiring. I love having people on here who have fully recovered and um, to hear your message too, of even at that worst when you were being told like, this is it, like, you know, people listening, like you, you can recover, even if it's, it seems like you're in your darkest of days or there's no hope, like you can. So um, love having people on here like you, Millie, like being able to say just that. 
Oh, I am so vehement about that. Don't let anyone ever tell you, no matter how long or how hard you've struggled with anything. I've had clients who've been unwell for 40 years Mm -hmm. who are now well, you know, and I think you just have to, you have to hold on to that hope that if you really, truly want it, you can get free and not sit in pseudo recovery and not have to manage the thoughts. You can have full freedom. So I have not been able to have the topic of neuro-linguistic programming on here yet. And so that's another reason I'm so excited to have you on um, because I think it's such a powerful thing. And um, I would love it if you could, people are probably going, what is NLP? So um, for people who have never even heard of it or kind of confused by it, maybe they have heard of it. Could you kind of describe for people like what that is? Of course, of course. What I think is really interesting is when my dear mom was, you know, we had been around the world, we had done many different types of therapy and, and mom, you know, would spend many late nights Googling um, different options and NLP was never one that came up. It was only something that she happened across. And I can't believe that now it's starting to be more accepted in some areas of the world for, for eating disorder treatment. But I, I had a coach ring me the other day saying that she was having real trouble with any clinics accepting the value of NLP with eating disorders. But it just makes so much sense. So really, when we look at NLP and we we, we try and define it, so, you know, there, there are there are different elements to it. So we, we look at the fact that there is a connection between the neurological processes, so the neuro language, which is obviously linguistic, and behavioral patterns learned through experience, programming. And these can be changed to achieve specific goals in life, like recovering from an eating disorder. And so one of the most transformational things that I learned through NLP was, and it was, it was one of the things that was said to me in the first 15 minutes of my session with Silky, who was my NLP practitioner. She said, you know, you don't have an eating disorder. And I looked at her and I looked at my mom who was in the room at the time. And I thought, God, she's found some fruit loop here because I'm literally dying of anorexia. It's like, you don't have an eating disorder. An eating disorder is something that you do. It's a behavior that's become a habit and habits can be changed if you really want to. And at the time I sort of looked at her and was, my brain was very foggy at this point, obviously Mm -hmm. being so malnourished, but I got what she was saying. She was right. I was in essence choosing to do these very things that were keeping my eating disorder alive. Now at the time it didn't feel like I had a choice, but no one was tying me down, making me do those things. I did have a choice. And so that was a really empowering thing for me to know that if I wanted to, if I really wanted to, I could change my brain. Now, there are listeners out there probably thinking, yeah, but like how? I've thought this way for so long. This is my automatic, like how am I meant to do that? And Mm -hmm. I felt exactly the same way. When I like to think about it, I use a lot of metaphors when I talk about NLP because I think talking about it clinically can often leave people feeling very confused. So, you know, you have an eating disorder. If you are in an eating disorder right now, you have an eating disorder superhighway in your head. So when you wake up in the morning, I, I always visualize it like, you know, when you get those aerial views of like the LA freeways and the whizzing, like all the cars are just whizzing around the lights. And it's like that, right? There's an eating disorder superhighway. You get on that in the morning. It's easy. It's free. It's fast flowing. Well, sometimes not with LA traffic, but it, it should be. 
Um, and you that that is the default because you take the path of least resistance. As humans, we do, right? But on the side of that that freeway, there's a bush track that someone's once kind of tried to get through, and there's a little bit of a, a, a gravelly path there. Now that's your healthy self pathway. And that's the pathway that's much harder to take and maybe at, the t- at sometimes doesn't seem like the most logical route to take, but that is how you're going to get yourself out of it. And taking that over and over again is going to mean that eventually it gets tar sealed and eventually, eventually it becomes a highway. And it's just as easy to hop on that as it is to hop on the eating disorder super highway. And so it's about, I have this thing called Millie's three C's, conscious, consistent, commitment. When you think about your eating disorder, it is consciously, consistently committed to ultimately taking your life from you. So you have to be consciously, consistently committed to fighting against that. It is, there is no point in, you know, one or two days a week deciding that you're going to challenge yourself. Well, there is a point to it, but you're not going to get to where you want to get to. You will sit in recovery for many, many, many years. You have got to consciously, consistently commit every moment of every day to, as I say, throwing logs on the bonfire of your eating of your healthy self and not on the bonfire of your eating disorder self. So you might say to yourself, you know, it doesn't really matter if I skip morning tea right now. It doesn't really matter if I purge this because it's just like this one little, it does. It does. Every little thing adds up and it matters. And so I think that concept is really, really powerful. We look at recovering from any eating disorder. It's about how committed are you to wanting to get this out of your life? Because that is going to dictate how long recovery takes or how long you continue to sit in your eating disorder before you take that leap of faith and really dive in. And so when we look at changing our brain, it can absolutely be done, but it is repetition. You know, for example, I was just on the phone with a client before and we were doing fair food jar and she was like oh well I've ticked I've ticked pizza off now I said well no pizza needs to be done each week until pizza is just pizza (laughs) and there are no other thoughts around pizza right so it's challenge repeat challenge repeat and you know it might seem like it's getting harder before it gets easier and I think that's one of the hardest things about eating disorders is it often does it feels worse And what I say to my clients all the time is when your eating disorder is screaming at you, you're doing the right thing. If it's not screaming, you're not challenging hard enough. So it's really about getting in there, getting into the nitty gritty and making sure that you are doing things each and every day to change your neural pathways. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I love that you use the metaphors because I think that helps explain it. You know, because I think sometimes people hear these big terms or things they've never heard of and go, oh, sounds so confusing. I have no idea. Um, and so, you know, I can even imagine people hearing like, well, wait, it, even going back to what you were saying, like, oh, it's a choice, right? Um, because then I'm worried people are going to say, well, then I need to blame myself. I'm doing this. I'm choosing this. It's my fault. I have the eating disorder. So if somebody were to be thinking that, hearing that, like, what would you say to them? Totally understand that Mm -hmm. people can take it that way. I want it. I absolutely don't want anyone blaming themselves. We didn't at any point go into the grocery store and choose a bit of anorexia, bulimia, after binge eating disorder, whatever it is that you're struggling with off Mm -hmm. the shelf and decide, you know what? 
I'm going to try a little bit of that today. It didn't happen like that. It is not our fault that we got unwell. But when I talk about having a choice, I'm empowering you. I'm inviting you to think about the fact that your recovery is in your hands and that you have the power to take ownership over your life. So you do have a choice. Even when the eating disorder thoughts feel like they are paralyzing you, you have a choice. So rather than beating yourself up and going, well, you know, why haven't I made that choice up until this point? Like I must be a failure or whatever. You're not, absolutely not. There are so many reasons why I stayed in my eating disorder for 15 years and didn't make the choice. I mean, so many different things, but there's no point in beating yourself up about that. It's about, okay, what choices can I make today to make things different? And so, you know, sitting down, sometimes what can be really, really helpful is sitting down and going, okay, rather than beating myself up about what's happened up until this point, I want to think about what I'm fighting for. So I do with my clients a lot, a what am I fighting for list, a list of all the big things and the little things in life that your eating disorder is not allowing you to achieve. So for me, it was full of things like I wanted to have babies. I wanted to travel. I you know, I wanted to, to live wherever I wanted to, to, to live in the world. I wanted to have financial independence, but, but big things like that. But I also wanted to be able to have an afternoon nap. I wanted to be able to eat cake whenever I wanted to eat cake. Things like that. The little things, the big things, everything. Write a list. Do a vision board. Remind yourself of those things every day because that's going to help you to make the right choice. And also coming back to your values. Looking at, okay, I've got my eating disorder self. I have my healthy self. The very different values that those two selves possess and reminding yourself when you're in a moment and you're really thinking, well, I actually don't know what decision is more in line with my my healthy self right now. Thinking to yourself, well, if I make this decision, does this align with my values? Is this staying true to myself? So there are many ways that you can help yourself to make those right choices. Because at first, after being in the murky depths of the eating disorder where you're almost on autopilot all the time, it can be really hard to figure out, well, how am I going to make this choice? And it can be really incredibly scary. And I think that's another thing that I want to say is that for me, it felt like jumping off a cliff into a deep, dark abyss. At first, that was what it felt like. And I realized very quickly that I needed to change that imagery in my head. I needed to change that narrative of what it was. And so I changed it to being, yes, it's a cliff. And yes, I'm diving off and I'm scared of heights. Man, am I scared of heights. But I am diving into a blank canvas and I can splash brightly colored paint all over this canvas in whichever way I want to. So rather than the fear holding me back from changing my brain and really diving in, I I embrace the possibility of creating a new identity, a new life, and not being held back by the eating disorder telling me, well, who are you going to be without me? Like, how will your life look? What will you look like? All of those very common fears that we have when we are trying to let go of something that has consumed so much of us. And I think the diving off or the leap of faith, like I like to call it, it's really important that you understand that when we're looking at changing neural pathways and we're looking at full recovery, you again, I use another analogy. You have to slam the door in your eating disorder's face, lock Mm -hmm. it, and throw away the key. You can't leave the door slightly ajar. 
that one little claw of the eating disorder can be there. Because anytime that you get into a stressful situation or your anxiety peaks, then the that eating disorder, it only needs one little claw to dig its, dig its way in and mm-hmm. to still have a hold on you. And so it's really about diving in, taking that leap of faith and letting the fact that you have a choice empower you rather than disempower you. So if people are saying, okay, I would love to do that, but A, I don't know where to find somebody who can help me just even start this process. Um, Or B, like, how will I even know what my healthy self is or what a healthy thought is compared to, you know, an eating disorder thought? Because I, you know, I talk with a lot of patients too, and they're very confused a lot of the time saying, well, what you're saying and what I'm hearing out in the world other experts are saying things that sound very much like my eating disorder. And they're saying those are healthy thoughts. That's very confusing for people because they don't know what to think. You know, what, what's a healthy thought? What's not a healthy thought? What's an eating disorder thought, right? Um, so would you suggest people work with someone who's in neuro-linguistic programming who's also very knowledgeable about eating disorders? Because I think it can be two different things. Very much so. So. I mean, the ultimate would be to have someone who is trained as an eating disorder recovery coach, mm-hmm. has lived experience, and also was trained as an NLP practitioner. <laughs> I believe that it's a little bit of a magic combo. Right. However, I'm very aware that that's, there's not a whole lot of us out there. And so what could be good is if you can only find an NLP practitioner who maybe doesn't have, you know, isn't specialized in eating disorders, but does have an understanding of them and you can work with a multidisciplinary team that has, you know, your psychologist, your NLP practitioner, a coach, a dietitian, whatever it is. I think what's really important is that we look at each individual with an eating disorder as an individual. And we look at it holistically and we go, right, so you might need some NLP here in this moment to do, you know, so we might need to do that for the next couple of months and then you're fine to keep going because it might be that there's just some stuck sort of limiting beliefs, we like to call them. So it's, it's, I guess you do need someone to help guide you through the process. And a coach is perfect for that because they are there every day. I'm there every day for my clients. They can reach out to me whenever they need to. And so when they're doubting those healthy self, eating disorder self thoughts, you know, I am there to do that. But if you don't have the option for that, Something that I think can be really good is to sit down. So you do your what am I fighting for list. You do your values, right? Values, the values work is super important because that's going to really help you separate out what's your eating disorder self from what's your healthy self. And then take note, like spend a day taking note of what are the repetitive eating disorder thoughts that come up. And if you're really honest with yourself, you know what those, what they are. You know that they're coming from your eating disorder. And so often in order to do that, you might need to come down. What I say to my clients a lot is come down out of your head and into your heart and really recognize oh, that is my damn eating disorder again. Okay. Write those down. And then I do it on little cue cards for clients because I think it's, it's easier rather than just a whole refill pad of words, but you've got your eating disorder a self-statement on one side, and then you come up with a healthy self-statement back. So a good way to channel that healthy self is to think, if I had a six-year-old daughter, sister, or brother, or whoever came to me and said, no, I'm not going to eat cookies because they're going to make me fat. 
what would you say to them? And I think that is a way of us connecting with our inner child and our, our soul self, for want of a better word, and actually thinking, yeah, what would I say to them? Well, of course, I wouldn't belittle, berate them. I wouldn't say that they shouldn't eat the cookies, right? So why is it any different for me? And so I think the more that you do that work, it starts to become automatic as to, okay, the healthy self-statement back to that eating disorder statement is this. Now, of course, when your head is really loud, it's not automatic for you to come up with those statements and just blurt them out. So that is why writing it down and having those cue cards on hand when your eating disorder just won't shut up so that you can actually say out loud back to it, okay, this is a statement, this is a statement. Now, in a way, in essence, we're brainwashing ourselves. The eating disorders brainwash you, but to brainwash you in recovery back to yourself. And so it's that constantness of it. Um, and so I think that the, those things are, are, are really, really important. And I think the, another thing that can be really helpful is I often used to visualize like the thoughts, we obviously can't just automatically make the eating disorder thoughts stop. That's not possible. Be wonderful if we could magic, wave a magic wand and do that, but we can't. So often your head can just be so loud and you can't see the wood from the trees. So I would visualize like an orb of light around my head, almost like a bit of a moon helmet thing. Mm -hmm. And the eating disorder thoughts are coming at it like daggers, right? But there is space between that orb of light and my head and they're rebounding off the orb of light. So see the thoughts, acknowledge them, accept that they're there, see you, hear you, but I'm not going down the rabbit hole with you. So I think that there's a big difference between knowing that the thoughts are there, hearing that the thoughts are there, but going down that rabbit hole, because I know myself when I would do that, I mean, 40 minutes could pass and it felt like two minutes because I've been trying to rationalize that. Okay. But it's all right, because if I do this and I do that and da, 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 and you've got to stop doing that because every time that you do, you're continuing to feed your eating disorder. These are all helpful things that people can actually take away from today and actually start using. So thank you for sharing these things, because I think oftentimes, you know, I'll have somebody on the podcast and they'll talk about some of these things and it feels like, oh, great, but I have nothing to walk away with to actually start using today. So I really appreciate that. It's so important because I know I used to listen to things, you know, or read books, of course, when I was unwell over and over again desperate for answers mm -hmm. and it's the practical things that are the important things so it's knowing that you can actually today do something you can finish listening to this podcast and no matter where you are when you end up going home today you can change something in your environment to help you to change your your thought patterns so for example it might be that you're going to eat your breakfast out of a different bowl. It might be that you're going to sit somewhere different at the dinner table. You know, our brains get so ingrained with the same habits and the same patterns. If we change that up, that helps to encourage cognitive change. So for example, when I came back from Australia and went to New Zealand and I would had weight restored and I was absolutely so happy, going back to the family home where all of these behaviors and thoughts had originated and where I'd done all the awful rituals and things, it was it was really hard. It was incredibly hard. But things that helped were I changed my entire room around. We painted it. We changed it. We changed my my bed was. So it wasn't like walking back into that same situation. And no matter how small your environment is, you can change things about it or how you go about your day. And that really helps you to change change uh, your brain. And, and it's possible. So don't think that it's some 
lofty goal that only certain people can achieve. Everybody listening today can change their brain if they really want to and they commit to doing it. But it's in the everyday practical things that you will find that freedom. Well, to your point too, the eating disorder rituals and thoughts are every day. So it would make sense that if you make change and to your point, commit to it every day, that would be something that would make some change. So yes, of course, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Great. Um, You've given so much wonderful information and shared so much about yourself, which I appreciate. And I'm sure the listeners are as well. Um, If people want to find out more about you or, you know, even if people maybe want to come get treatment from you or are in Australia, New Zealand listening um, and want to find out more about the residential center, how can they find out more? Absolutely. So you can follow me on Instagram at Millie TNZ or at Healed Recovery Coach. I'm sure you'll pop these in the show notes as well. And so, Mm -hmm. um, and my website is www.healed.net.au. My email, Millie at Healed.net.au. I have also just recently started a new podcast with another amazing eating disorder recovery coach, Olivia Soha, and she's based in Melbourne in Australia. And so we've got the Renourished podcast. So our first season is up and running. You can get a direct link that from my Instagram. And there's also, as I say, the End Eating Disorders podcast, which is available on the NDED website, ended.org.au. Um, please reach out. I I am really an open book and I just love to help people. So um, don't be afraid to, to reach out and connect. And I also run a free Zoom support group fortnightly for Australians and New Zealanders as well. So if there are any uh, Kiwis and Aussies listening who would like to know more about that and join in, um, please do get in touch because we would love to have you join us. That's fantastic. Thank you so much. And yes, all that will be in the show notes. So if you didn't get that down, don't worry about it. Um, Millie, thank you so much. Any last final words before we end? I really just want everyone listening to know that you have the power within you to make change today. You can change your brain. You can move on with your life once and for all. You can achieve that freedom that you so, so deserve. And it's worth it. Don't doubt that because I think the eating disorder is very good at making us doubt whether the pain and the torture is going to be worth it. Like I've been working in this field now for seven years and I have never, ever met anyone who's fully recovered that's gone, you know what? It's not really worth it. It is more worth it than you can begin to imagine. So keep fighting, reach out, surround yourself with people who really, really embody um, living in the way that you want to live. I think we live in a world that is not ultimately conducive really to eating disorder recovery. It's pretty diet culture saturated world. And so we need to protect ourselves in that respect. So surround yourself with people who really, really embody the values that you hold dear. And each and every day, do something to get yourself closer to freedom. That's awesome. Thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thank you for having me. This podcast is designed to provide accurate and authoritative information in regards to the subject matter covered. It is given with the understanding that neither the host 
The publisher or the guest are rendering legal, accounting, clinical, or any other professional information. If you want a professional, you should find one.